0: Hi, everyone. I'm Amanda Tran and welcome to Self. I am here to have conversations, share ideas and experiences to explore the self with the aim of helping people to live happier and healthier lives. Today joining me is a dear friend of mine, Michael Nguyen. Michael, welcome to Self.
1: It's so good to be here with you. (laughs)
0: <laughs> Thanks. Um, so Michael is an English teacher based out of Perth and we've been friends for 17 years I want to say. Pretty much yeah since yeah. we were teenagers. Yeah and I've invited you here today because we've both been on quite an interesting journey over the last couple of years and interestingly over the course of our friendship you know kind of naturally you grow apart and you kind of come back together and we've we've kind of grown up together through church and through a lot of common friendship circles and we caught up earlier in the year and just found that hey we've been on this (laughs) same (laughs) journey of exploration like of exploring ourselves and through some very similar circumstances yeah
1: that's right that's right
0: and for both of us growing up in immigrant families we're both Vietnamese and growing up uh, in Perth under some very similar circumstances, very we're both um, firstborn, the eldest in our family as well. Mm. I think we've got some common struggles and yeah, some some stuff that I guess is familiar, and we've both learned and grown a lot from. Yeah, this
1: year. I'd say I'd say our stories are quite they're, they're very familiar to to the immigrant story, but I think it's kind of like one of those things where you're not really conscious of it mm. until you look back. Like you realise growing up, you're like, oh, I've got all of these experiences that I've had growing up. And then you talk to your friends and people are saying, hang on, that's not what I experienced. Yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, uh, I guess, you know, for us to sort of dive into that and to now look back retrospectively has been a, a really a self, self-finding moment. Yeah. yeah. It's something that we don't get to do very often in our life. But now that we're here... Uh, let's, let's dig into that.
0: (laughs) So what have you found when you're, when you're talking about these experiences that other people haven't been able to relate to? Are there specific things that come to mind?
1: Well, yeah. Like I think one of the things that I think a lot of immigrant children, especially with parents who are from overseas and don't speak English, Mm. for instance, you are, you're forced to be the child in the family, but also the adult at the same time. I don't know if you've ever experienced that, but yeah. growing up, uh, you would have these these opportunities, and I call them opportunities now because at the time they were they were kind of forced upon you. But now yeah. <laughs> I realized you know, that there were real opportunities to like assume the role of, of of a parent, assume the role of a caregiver, or even assume the role of the little things like translating documents, understanding how the rules work around here, understanding how to make things happen for your family. Because yeah. at the end of the day, like my parents would get like a bank statement and they'd be like, can you help me translate this? Like I can't read these terms and services. I don't know what's going on here. Yeah. And so you quickly learn how to do taxes. <laughs> yeah.
0: I remember being um, like when, when we had to sign up for dial-up. Oh, my yeah. gosh. And – having to get on the phone with customer service and that was always me that was my role yes. like my parents would not get on the phone and explain things I was a person having to call and go through customer support and doing it all and when you're I don't know I was maybe eight or nine years old yes. and you're nervous to speak on the phone as it is to adults and to strangers and yes. just having to go through that I love that you said that it's an opportunity because yeah. I think at the time it felt much more like a chore yes and something that <laughs> I definitely didn't want to do.
1: I I remember countless times myself like masquerading as my father on the phone. I don't know if you've ever done that before.
0: Oh, my gosh. (laughs) Yes. Yeah. (laughs) Yeah, because, you know, obviously their full name, their birthday, you know, all the answers to the secret questions. So
1: you have to, you know, and they're like, are you sure? You don't sound (laughs) like
0: (laughs) Hello, little (laughs) 10-year-old.
1: But that's what we had to do. You know, it was um, it wasn't a situation of like we had a choice. It was like, we had to do this in order to uh, keep things functional. And that's just from, that's like a little micro example, you know, Mm. like signing up for internet. But now can you imagine jumping to like other scenarios, like purchasing a property and translating that for your parents? Wow. Or, or, you know, helping them to, to start up a business and all of these things, they, they obviously, they didn't force it upon us. It was more so they, they almost like required our our assistants, or at least that's how I felt growing mm. up. And so that does some really interesting things to you psychologically. I mean, over time, you you assume the role of a, a provider. You assume the role of a caregiver. You assume the the burden that people call uh, of responsibility as well. So all of a sudden you're taking on the parent role and, and perhaps an adult role way beyond your, yeah. your developmental years. Yeah. I I don't know if you've ever experienced that before.
0: Yeah, definitely. I think it's the assumption of responsibility that you're taking on. And I guess it forces you to grow up pretty quickly, right? Because there's this balance of being a child. And for us growing up Vietnamese, that there are cultural implications to being a child. Yes. Because there's also this hierarchy that exists in our culture. so you have to have a level of respect. Our parents are definitely above us. They always have the final say. They're Mm. always right. And then at the same time, as you said, we're also stepping into this kind of very adult role. Mm. And I think that was quite confusing for me growing up. And you're right that there's an ongoing psychological impact. (laughs) Yeah, Yeah. because you just you grow up very quickly and... Yeah, I don't know. I guess like finding your place in the world is also a bit strange when you're navigating this cross-section of cultures because we both, uh, I mean, we both went to school obviously mm. in, in Perth and so you're surrounded by, you know, Western yeah. Western culture, Aussies, other fe- like kids from immigrant backgrounds and whatnot.
1: Yeah.
0: And you're navigating balancing that with navigating your culture at home.
1: That's it. And I think uh, the the idea of, like, kids being kids just didn't exist in our family.
0: No. no. <laughs> that's not a Vietnamese thing.
1: No, it's not, actually.
0: Like, that line, that yeah. saying is yeah. only something I've heard in the West. Yeah. And as you said that, the first thing that came to mind for me is I started working when I was 12 years old. Exactly. Me how, too. <laughs> how old were you? 12? Yeah,
1: like, just crushing boxes, like, stacking shelves. Like, that's – you just – you got hands, you got feet, you work,
0: you contribute, right? Yeah. Like I started, I started cooking rice and washing dishes. <laughs> cooking rice, <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> obviously, because I'm Asian. Yeah. Um, yeah, I started cooking rice when I was six. <laughs> yeah, I was changing my sister's diaper. I was contributing to the household. I was doing all the chores yeah. between from six onwards. And at 12, I was working in my uncle's deli.
1: Exactly. And
0: working, I don't know, like 20 hours a week or something. (laughs) And I know a lot of it's funny because when I tell some people that now, people are pretty outraged. They're like, child labour?
1: Yeah, like (laughs) false child labour, what's going on here?
0: (laughs) And I'm, look, a part of me is like, yeah, probably could have given been given more of an opportunity to be a kid and at the same time I'm actually really grateful for it because oh, yeah. it has been a great proponent towards my work ethic. Yeah. You know and I'm I don't look at any job that's below me whatsoever and I think that comes from the immigrant story, which is you do whatever you have to do. You hustle, you work hard and you make something of yourself, whatever that looks like. Like there's, there doesn't have to be a barrier and if there is one, you navigate your way around it mm-hmm. and you make something. And I, I love that about the immigrant Vietnamese story because yeah. I think most Vietnamese families, at least for sure in our circles, like you, you can see how families have risen out of that.
1: Definitely. And it, it was about rising. Like, I don't think well, for my family, it wasn't about, we weren't in this mindset of thriving at the time. Mm. It was about surviving. surviving. It Absolutely. was always about surviving. And so um, everything that you did was for the family. Yeah. And every action that you took was either preparing you for a future mm-hmm. for the family. So for example, helping out the business or Creating an environment for your kids, like babysitting them, so your parents can actually work. Work, yeah. So you know, I watch my friends and they're out there. They're they're going to to footy training. They're going to cricket and they play all these sports on the weekends. And I'm I'm the one who's like, oh, what what did you do on the weekend? Oh, I was uh, I was at the till <laughs> <You know?
0: laughs> and studying and, and studying <laughs> doing at, at homework. The same time. Yep. Yeah, yeah, exactly. <laughs> you
1: know, and uh, but also it was. I, I am very grateful for it because, yeah. you know, you get you get that little like, I guess, teenager degree that's sort of like thrown into, thrown into that sort of adult space at a very young age. Now, of course, this isn't unique, like, you know, millions of people across the world yeah. go through this. But I think it's like a, a common thread that I've noticed with a lot of immigrant families that come from like refugee backgrounds mm. or just backgrounds where families had to really start from the bottom, had to had to survive to make it. So I think that creates a, a bit of a drive yeah. in all of us, you know, because we're constantly, even when we we're young, told like everything you do is to make the family better yeah. or to make yourself better. So, of course, there's this sort of fire or motivation within all of us and probably it comes from a desire just to like please our parents. Yeah, yeah. You know, this idea of, oh, yes, I'm going to make it in this degree. I'm going to give us a better life. I'm going to make sure that my future – isn't like the, the present that you were putting me through. Yeah. You know, so, um, that was quite an interesting sort of reflection.
0: Yeah. And I don't think, I guess it's probably not helpful to label things as good and bad, Mm. but just to be able to, to observe and see what we learn from that. Cause when I look at that, I think there are a lot of benefits that came from it and, and perhaps a lot of costs as well. Cause on the one hand, I think there is definitely a need for children to be loved and accepted as they are, mm. right? Like I'm not sure that it's healthy or conducive or effective for children to feel a burden of responsibility. But also at the same time, it's like, well, this is just kind of how it was for us and yeah. you can't change the past. So I think it's a great thing we can look back at that and draw a lot of inspiration and positivity from it. Um, yeah, but I guess... I guess for us we I mean you just had to you just had to pull up your pants and exactly, and, and, yeah. and go for it and do it. <laughs> yeah,
1: that's it. You know, you pull up your pants, you you've like button up your shirt and you just like put on the tie. And you and
0: show up. And you yeah. show up
1: and and obviously that that impacts your career choices. It impacts the way that you think, like being at a young age having to know the answers to things that you may not even fully understand. Mm. creates a what I call like the hypothetical mindset. It's like um, it's a mindset where you feel like you have to have all the answers all the time and that's.
0: Yeah, that resonates with me a lot. Yeah,
1: you know, it's, it's even if you didn't know, you had to find a way to know.
0: Yeah. And
1: even before you could fully understand, you had to act upon the information that you had. So that hypothetical mindset means that um, you're always constantly trying to find the best thing the best way. So take, for instance, you know, if someone asked me, oh, where should I go eat? Oh, this is the best place to go eat. Mm. You know? Oh, where should I stay? This is the best place to stay.
0: And so, it's true. Vits do love that though, yeah. don't they? they yeah. It's always about <laughs> having the right answer. The right answer. Yeah. Which has a profound impact. And I'm sure, and I know this, I guess, from past conversations that we've had before, that that's mm-hmm. something, I guess, we both have struggled with having mm-hmm. to get things right all the time. yeah. And I guess when we talk about the influences of our culture, what's really special is that we get to observe and choose what works well for us yeah. in, have you heard like the term third culture kids?
1: Yes, of course. Yeah. yeah. So that's
0: what we are, right? This third culture, because we have our Western culture that we've yeah. grown up in the, in the environment around us. And we have our Vietnamese background, our culture that we grew up with mm. at home and then we end up as this third culture kid with an amalgamation of both. Yeah. And something beautiful there is that we have space to choose because there's a lot that I value about our Vietnamese culture. Yes. There's a lot that I don't. Yeah. Honestly, when I when I look at some things, I'm like, oh, not a fan of that. And it's nice to be able to pick and create your own value system because we, we do just otherwise inherit what's given to us mm. and assume that and take it on sometimes without questioning any of it.
1: Yeah, uh, that was a very big, uh, almost subconscious part of growing up is, um, especially growing up in like you know, Asian conservative background, mm-hmm. you you get given a narrative. Yeah. You, you essentially get given the narrative of, okay, you work hard.
0: You, you go to go, school. Go
1: to school. <laughs> you get to university, make sure that the degree isn't just some like arts degree that's random it has to generate no
0: offense arts degrees
1: no no, yeah no offense but that's the the (laughs) message that's been told by our families yeah I mean there
0: are what are the I would say the accepted professions in kind of an order but maybe no particular (laughs) order is medicine so you get to be a doctor a dentist Dentist. a pharmacist if you can't get into med you can be a pharmacist pharmacist and that's acceptable a lawyer an engineer an accountant that's right yeah Teachers up there though, but I don't know that it's like fully no, accepted. No, it's, it, it's, it's not. It's, it's, yeah, Yeah. sorry.
1: It's like, it's because it, it's like a, a job that people see, especially within the Vietnamese community, as uh, it's very different to business.
0: You've got to be making money.
1: Yeah. You know, you can be a lawyer and own your law firm. You yes. can be a doctor and have a debt, like a doctor's clinic.
0: Yes. You know, you can yeah. be an
1: engineer and have, be a, make a company. Mm. You can't be a teacher and and. And own a school, you know, like especially yeah. if you work for government, right? So it's a, uh, you know, there's always that mindset of like, the step you take needs to be one step to something bigger. Yes, you know, and and so we end up being, uh, well, at least for me, end up being like a walking contradiction, uh, you know, because of course we want to do these things, but. Uh, our our own personal choices don't quite fit into that narrative
0: no and there's not often space that's given to exploring your own desires like the idea of pursuing passion Mm. is very foreign and is not encouraged in the Vietnamese community right like that's that's seen often as a waste of time that's a hobby if you if you've got something (laughs) you're passionate about that's a hobby yeah You don't go and pursue that as a career. And what you were just saying earlier about having to have all the answers to get things right, I think there's a part of our culture where we are just handed this this system and this block.
1: Here's the answer.
0: Mm -hmm. Here's the answer and you're expected to live this kind of life, which means the moment you deviate from it, Mm. you're often seen as a failure or a disappointment. That's right. And I guess for us where we've deviated in some way which we can we can kind of touch base on
1: let's dive into it (laughs) yeah
0: um because when we're talking about that system that you're handed Mm. we were saying you go you know you contribute to the family that we've got a great collective mindset in the Vietnamese community and I do love that because you're not just contributing to your own individual growth it's not just about you it's about the community you know we Mm. we collectively contribute to all build each other up, which is a yeah. great thing. Um, but you work hard, you study hard, you go to uni, you make something of yourself and you graduate from one of these six degrees that's allowed. <laughs> um, you get a job. Yeah. Now you're allowed to date. Yes. Okay. Now you can after uni. After uni, <laughs> absolutely not before, and most definitely not yeah. during high school before you're 18. Now, of
1: course, there are exceptions, but there are exceptions with a very sort of like keen, uh, sharp eye from the parents monitoring you. <laughs> yes. Yes. Absolutely.
0: Okay. So then you you're now you're allowed to date yeah. while you're working full time, and the moment you start dating, it's you need to get married and buy a house. And have kids.
1: Yeah, with the first person you dated.
0: (laughs) (laughs) Only date one person and then lock it down and that's it and and your life is set. And it's this desire for safety and for security that our parents didn't have. Like that's That's where, you know, it doesn't come from a bad place at all. It doesn't, it's not coming from a place of wanting to. um, It's not
1: control. Yeah,
0: I mean it doesn't, I don't think it's intentional. It's not intentional control. I think it comes out in that way often yes, because you're not really given freedom <laughs> to <Yeah. laughs> decide otherwise. But it comes from this desire to, this desire for us to have security and safety, which they didn't have because of the war,
1: mm. having
0: to flee your home country and come to another, you know, jump on boats, yes. end up in detention centres in random countries, yeah. navigating all of this to land in a country where you don't speak the language where you have no money, no assets, you are starting completely from zero, I understand why the priority there is safety and security. And the the priority for your children is absolutely to be better, to have more and to have that safety and security that you didn't have. So that's where it comes from. Mm. But that also means this laid out life, which you and I very much prescribe to and we both live down. Yeah. Right, like we made it up to a certain (laughs) point because we were both. um, We found a partner. We found a partner. We we went to uni. We studied. You you are a teacher. I was a lawyer. So we did that. We got our jobs working full time. We were living kind of very like successful lives. We had partners. We got married. And then.
1: And then boom, <laughs> you know, uh, it changes, you know. Yeah. And so that actually that's, that's one of the things that, you know, when you're given this narrative uh, and when divorce happens, mm. right, when separation happens, um, that narrative really crumbles uh, in front of your parents, in front of the community, in front of your, your siblings, you know, like because they've looked up to you as yeah. well as the wrong yeah. model. So it's, and
0: we're also given the pressure... Yes. Of being the role model. Yes, and I don't know about you. For me, on my dad's side of the family, I was the first person to get married,
1: and I was the first person to have a degree. And and
0: you know. yes, yeah, so was I. Uh, yeah. My aunties and uncles, but out of the cousins, yeah. I'm the eldest female cousin, and I'm the second eldest cousin. I remember getting phone calls in year twelve, being like, "You need to get the highest score possible because all your cousins." are going to look to you yes. and you are setting the example. Yeah. And then but you feel that through like that has a rippling effect through mm. all aspects of your decision making and absolutely in relationships. Like yeah, you being the eldest, me being the eldest in our immediate families, we were both also first to get married.
1: Mm, that's right.
0: And then you set the tone and when it doesn't work, I know I felt like a complete failure.
1: Oh. Definitely. At that moment, it's like um, you don't just lose the relationship; you lose the narrative. And I think that's the the bigger heartbreak that the
0: whole worldview that's attached to it, yeah. The meaning,
1: the meaning, the uh, the intention, yeah. But also the the entire future that you'd set out for yourself. Because going back to that hypothetical mindset, mm-hmm. you had to have the answers, yeah. And you've realized like this was not the answer. This was not like what I'm experiencing right now is not what I thought it would be.
0: It's not how it was supposed to be.
1: Yeah, and so it's, you know, obviously the the opposite to the hypothetical mindset is something that um, you get this slap in the face, you get this slap in the face moment and it kind of wakes you up. And I think it's a beautiful slap in the face moment because if we were going through life, as it were, with these sort of gentle, like, I guess, taps on the, on the head to go this direction, that direction, I don't think we would have ever taken it. I don't think we would have ever woken up from it. So the the slap in the face moment uh, introduced into my life through, through I guess. Uh, was it through
0: the separation? Yeah. Was that the moment for you? Yeah, right. it
1: was. Um, made me realise that this entire narrative and the entire way of my thinking was just a pattern that was given to me. Yeah. And now I have an opportunity to create something new. Now I have an opportunity to live, think, feel, um, act, be as, as the person that I want to be. Yeah. That was like a huge moment for me. It was like as if I had been set free from the the paradigms of old. Mm. You know, I don't know. How, how do you feel about that?
0: Yeah. The, I guess for me, part of the journey started when I started traveling first mm-hmm. because I had this set of beliefs, this set of values like you that had been mm-hmm. handed down, we are often taught what to think, not mm-hmm. how to think is what I like to say. Yeah. And there was always this like inner rebel in me that questioned everything and I wasn't allowed to question things. I would get shut down when I, when I questioned the why on, you know, why do I have to do this? Why do I have to yeah. believe this? You know, why this? <laughs> and often it was just the answer was because that's how it is and when i started traveling and having great conversations with people from all around the world and other travelers i think that's when my mind was given the freedom to start thinking and exploring and questioning mm. when the separation happened for me i what does i guess there was a big dissolution of a certain narrative mm. because before that, even though I was doing and living a life that was quite different, you know, being a traveler and whatnot, there was still one key thing that was linking me back in. And that was we were still married. We still, you know, that there was that core safety and security in my husband at the time. Mm. Breaking away from that was extremely isolating and it, yeah, it dissolved everything. And I remember thinking, I don't. I've never felt like this much of a failure in my life mm. and I and it felt so lonely and the other layer to that which we haven't gone into is um, we both come from Christian backgrounds as well yeah.
1: so there's the whole spiritual side of things that we we it's like the weight of culture it's the weight of self and parents and then it's the also the weight of I guess the ideology that we grew up with yeah yeah
0: and for you can tell me if i'm wrong here but i'm i'm pretty sure it's the same for both of us is we obviously looked at marriage as this is a this is it for life like this is one person that i'm mm. choosing for life and absolutely that was my intention mm. uh and to to then not end up there to end up separating i mean that rocks every, you know as you yeah. said if you've got these three pillars That make up your identity, and that dissolves. What's left?
1: Yeah, exactly it. You know, and I, I I kind of have this image in my head that I was in this sort of stadium, and all the lights just like turned off, like boom, and now yeah, it's it's dark. Literally, yeah, literally (laughs) dark. You know, and and you just now you're sitting there, you're like feeling around in the darkness, and you know there's like a light switch somewhere. You know that there's an exit somewhere but everything has just been turned off for you. Mm. So, you know, a part of me is is for the past year going in the dark, blindly looking around, but knowing, knowing. And I guess at the end of the day, realising that perhaps the the light that you need to get out of there wasn't the one that's been shone upon you, but it's like it's in you. Like it's something that you can pull out. Like you've got your own light with you. So um, that's that's us finding our own way you know because we've been given all of these sort of details and and shown the way the whole time like it's all been fully lit for us but once it's all taken away now yeah. you have to find it yourself
0: which is a beautiful thing yeah. you know when we talk about opportunity i think that's it's an incredible gift that comes out of something very painful mm to be able to explore who you are as an individual and no longer have to just take this set that's been handed to you and then you get to question and you get to explore i guess what life means what identity means what you believe what you what you want to believe how you want to live your life yeah
1: i think i think for us or at least uh, for myself the slap in the face moment made me start to think antithetically. So that's, you know, the opposite to hypothetical thinking It's okay. this antithetical thinking. Mm. So having this sort of antithetical mindset because everything that we know is our hypo, Okay. Right? Um, everything that we get given to us that's unfamiliar, that's new, that's different is our anti. You know, it's that antithetical mindset that I've started to adopt in my life.
0: Can you give me an example?
1: So take, for instance, you know, if if you choose the exact same meal, every single day, then your experience of life will be the exact same for meals. Okay. So that's just a very simple one. You know, why why do we have these sort of patterns and habits that we return to? What is the merit of exploring another option? Mm -hmm. What is the merit of creating a, a different, maybe a different time of eating, a different place of eating, a different way of eating? You know, and that's just a very simple example. But now apply this concept to every single thing in your life and you start to realize that, for once in your life, the narrative or the hypothetical mindset that you've been given as a child mm. was something that was pre-written for you. But imagine now being antithetical and you write yourself. You write what you want to do. You write how you want to be. You write how you want to show up every single day. And that for me was like the biggest freeing moment. And also recognizing as well, and I think this was something that was a detriment but a blessing at the same time mm-hmm. because we were, we were so hypothetical, that made us successful. That made us great in what we were doing, but it comes Successful
0: to, by one measure. By
1: one measure, yes, yeah. but limited in another.
0: Mm.
1: So take, for instance, in the very tricky realm of relationships, right? It's the thing that probably made our partners admire us, but it's also the things that make us very rigid in a mm. way to not be Extremely, able, yeah. yeah. And so that, that rigidity is something that um, now when you think antithetically enables you to be successful or enables you to be flexible enables you to be open minded enough to to accept the world as it is not as the the narrative or the the greatest or the best or the worst but you just accept things as they are mm. and i think that for me was a very releasing moment
0: yeah so tell me more about this journey for you after the separation so you have this wake up moment slap in the face moment yeah. as you describe it and then if, if you experience what I experienced, there's a period where I felt very lonely and very low because there was a lot of fear, there was a lot of unknown. You're breaking out of this narrative mm. for the first time. That's right. What was that period like for you?
1: So there's, there's something called the paradox of change.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: The paradox of change is that the, the bigger the change you have in your life, or the bigger change that's been put onto your life, the the deeper and harder your mind, your body, will try to cling back to the past narrative. Yeah. Uh, so.
0: It's looking for safety. when there's looking. When there's something that is very significant in terms of change, you want everything else to stay the same. We that's can't really handle every aspect of our life changing simultaneously. Correct. Just like your brain freaks out because <laughs> it wants to be safe. It wants the known.
1: That's right. Yeah, so you know when we're when we're operating in this sort of unknown space of course it's trying to claw back to the old paradigms it's the way that we think it's the like if you think if you think that there is a correlation between you know our thoughts and our feelings and our actions and our identity then uh, all of that is what we have as familiar mm. to us so we're reaching back to our familiar And that manifests in itself in in little things that we do in our life. And we're trying to take, for instance, you know, after the separation, we're trying to recreate those past moments. or We're trying to recreate the connection or we're trying to recreate something. But there was a moment where if you let go, if you let go and and move forward, then you start to step into this unknown. And the unknown is really scary. Mm -hmm. So every day as you move forward, now we're in the unknown. You know, and the unknown every single day is saying, "Go back to the known," but you know that you can't go back to the known. Yeah, you cannot. It's impossible. In actual fact, to try and force it would probably take you further away from it. And so the only thing that you can do is step into that unknown space. And and in this case here, I had to ask myself, you know, what are the the types of feelings? What are the types of characteristics? What are the parts, the emotions, the parts of my identity that I want to carry forward? Into the unknown, mm. am I still going to be the exact same person as I was back then that got me into this situation in the first place, mm-hmm. or do I step forward with a, a new paradigm, a new way of thinking? And of course, that's that's something that's very powerful because I think a lot of people, like and, and including myself, obviously we we wake up every single day with um, a certain set of thoughts, a certain set of actions, a certain set of uh, emotions. And, and a part of our growing up survival mindset, right, was to either stick to a safe narrative or in many cases, uh, think of like the worst case scenarios, the negative thoughts so that we could at least protect ourselves from mm-hmm. that. Like, you know, if you think in the most negative ways, like, oh, don't do this because you'll get into danger, yeah. you know, don't do that path because it's not safe. Uh, don't purchase that because it's not fiscally responsible, mm-hmm. you know, or don't, uh, don't go there because it's not a part of your, your pathway. Um, uh, you know, that's all that's, that's protection, you know, from our old paradigm. But what that does is it recreate, if we wake up with those thoughts every single day, then we have those same patterns occurring every single day, yeah. nothing changes. Yeah. So to, to start a new day, To start a new life, a new journey, I had to adopt the antithetical mindset, which was what are the merits of every other thing that I've missed out in my life, Mm. which is hard because obviously, you know, you don't want to go all the way into something, but at least just explore the opportunity.
0: Just being open to something new. That's right. Which is difficult when you have come from a very rigid set way of being, Mm. which is, I think, something you and I were both accustomed to. That's right. It was very unfamiliar for me. Um, I struggled a lot with, uh, I guess, reaching out and being honest with my support network because, for me, this happened just before COVID and I was, you know, we we were alone, we were overseas. Mm. Our core support network really didn't actually know in the last 6 months before the separation what was going on for us and and i remember for months after just navigating this space of i i have no idea who i am mm. outside of this mm. and it was it's uncomfortable being in the unknown and yes there's so much growth to be had and Obviously, retrospectively, you can see all of these things that are as opportunities. But in the moment when you're living through it, it's painful. Yeah. Yeah, it's a lonely and a very painful space. And the only thing you can do, because what I felt was just life unraveling and having no control over anything, mm. which is kind of the opposite of what we're accustomed, the way that in which we're accustomed to living. Yeah. As we said, you're given this set of beliefs. There's a lot of control involved. You know, you work hard so that you achieve. It's a lot of what you're able to do. And in this moment I remember for those few months going, like, what is life anymore? <laughs> <laughs> like, everything's just gone to shit. And not having control over anything, not feeling, like feeling incredibly alone through it all and then taking that as an opportunity to go, okay, well, What do I have control over? And it's me. It's like my response to this. How am I going to learn and how am I going to grow from this? Yes. And I guess when you hit any form of rock bottom, perhaps that is the only glimpse of light and hope that you can cling on to, which is I still have power and autonomy and control over me. Yeah. Even if all these circumstances, no matter what's going on, whether it's not about fault or anything, it's just this is this is life as it is and we have to accept it. But in that acceptance it's what can I do? How do I come out of this?
1: There's so many. Uh, I mean just, just hearing that, there's so much that I got from that. Like you were talking about control and I think What happens in those sort of like traumatic moments, or those moments that we go through where things are taken away from us, is um, we go through something called the the disguises of desire.
0: I love these phrases that you. I don't know if you've come up with them or you've heard of them, but I'm I'm learning a lot. This antithetical mindset and what what was this one again? So
1: disguises of desire.
0: Disguises of desire. So
1: like you know everything that your mind is like reaching for is based upon uh, this desire, Mm -hmm. right? Like uh, and so take for instance, are you you send a text to someone, right? You send a text to someone hoping that you get a reply back. You send a text right. to, to let's say, the the ex the or whoever else, right? Within that is a disguise or a desire for maybe certainty, maybe control, maybe uh, affirmation, mm-hmm. maybe acknowledgement, maybe a sense of like your your mirrored self, so you're yeah. projecting yourself out there to, to feel accepted. So one of the things that I was um, – sort of brought into the space of understanding was be conscious of these disguises of desire, mm. like ask yourself, why, why are we doing this? You know, as we step into the unknown and we start to repeat these old patterns, like, cause it's clawing us back. Why are we doing this old pattern? So, you know, why am I trying to do this?
0: Mm. And then
1: you start recognizing the disguises of desire. And so when you're conscious in that moment, you can actually shift it and reframe it, which is exactly what you said. You go, hang on, I'm seeking control in a, a situation or circumstance outside of myself. I'm seeking affirmation. I'm seeking acknowledgement from a person externally to me.
0: Yeah.
1: So reframe, right? Reframe is in this situation or in this moment, do I need to control someone else? No, I can control myself.
0: Yeah. Well, I, it's not even do I need it. Like, do yeah. I have control do. over someone else? Yeah, no. Yeah, we know. Yeah, just
1: yeah. by default. Of course not. You know, where where should I be getting my acknowledgement from? Is it from another person? Is it from my past? Yeah. Is it from, from the people that I knew um, that, that would affirm me? Uh, or was it something that was missing inside of me, maybe my inner child, yeah. yearning to be acknowledged by mm-hmm. myself? So that reframe. Uh, all of these disguised desires, actually desires that we have for ourselves, but we haven't given ourselves the opportunity to actually just feed ourselves from that. We've been seeking, or at least I have in my past, seeking it from the external environment,
0: yeah, the external 100%. situation, the yeah. external
1: story. So going through that um, and reframing is is such a huge thing, you know, like, and there are so many, like my method for reframing. Uh, so we call it auto-suggestion.
0: Mm-hmm. I don't
1: know if you've heard of that that concept before. <laughs> no. Yeah, so like, you know, whenever you you have like an idea or something, um, let's say you're, you're struggling with a thought. Yeah. Right. You know, you're struggling with a negative emotion in your life. Um, you, firstly, you know, you don't just block that negative emotion. You, you deeply feel it. You deeply acknowledge it and understand it. But at some point, it has to go somewhere. Yes. So um, the method that I've used is, is auto suggestion, which is you reframe it. So going back, recognizing the disguise, uh, the, the disguises of desire that you go through. And then asking yourself, what could you do instead? Mm-hmm. What is the best version of yourself going to think and feel? Like essentially taking what was a negative thought, shifting the energy into a, a positive outcome or a positive direction. So take, for instance, uh, when after the break, you feel an immense sense of loneliness, as you mentioned, right? So in that moment, I, I told myself, oh, you know, loneliness that has some real negative connotations to mm. it it's this feeling of again being in a dark stadium right you feel like you're the only person so for me the reframe for that was let's let's turn loneliness into solitude mm. now solitude becomes a beautiful thing you know solitude is intentional yeah solitude is a moment where your mind your body yourself is yearning to be intimate with, with yourself with yourself yeah a
0: moment of recovery of rest of reflection introspection yes. there's so much beauty that comes out of solitude
1: yeah that's that's it so that becomes a part of like this this sort of beautiful almost like a beautiful definition of
0: mm-hmm. what you are
1: going through because we we understand our lives through meaning yeah. Right. So when we attach meaning to our situational circumstance, because we can go through the exact same situational circumstance. I'm sitting in a lone, or like I'm sitting alone in a room, and a, and my old self will be saying, "I'm alone. I'm empty.
0: I'm lonely. I'm lonely. Right.
1: This sucks." Yeah. Right. But then the reframe tells me this is a moment of solitude. This is a moment for me. Like I'm not being left. I am being the person who is finding me. Yeah. Now, of course. You could just leave it there and think that, but it's not powerful enough. Uh, Auto-suggestion happens when you start to you record it. So you actually like take out your, your voice recording device or, or your phone, you record it. And then whenever you feel that emotion coming, that negative emotion, you play the voice recording of yourself to yourself. So that way that becomes almost like your own coach that pulls you out of that moment. Mm-hmm. But it also rewrites your subconscious thinking because inevitably what happens is the more that you play that auto-suggestion, it becomes the default pathway to your new thinking. Right. So, you know, we've got the paradox of change, which is you're in this new environment and your mind is constantly trying to pull you back to the old way of thinking. This sucks. I'm alone. But we have to put in a very consistent and strong effort to pull ourselves out of that. Mm. And that does require an actual physical thing to pull us out. Now, right. of course, we're not going to always have our friend or our, our family to to be on our shoulder or to, to hug us and hold us and say, hey, it's going to be okay, right? We're not going to have the coach going, yeah, you can do this, Michael, right? So all we have is ourself. And so auto-suggestion for me was like just one way that you can reprogram your mind. Mm. And it's it's you can do this for anything in your life, obviously, any sort of negative emotion, any sort of like any mindset like – I'll give you an example. Um, even like this year rain, you know, a lot of people really like, I'd say 99% of the population avoid rain, right?
0: Not the farmers, the farmers love rain. rain.
1: (laughs) Yeah. Yeah. But I guess, you know, whenever I see rain now, it's like, if it's raining, that's beautiful. I want to walk through that. You know, I Mm. want to experience that. That's like a a beautiful thing because that's like a paradigm shift. It's like a, for me, like what what I normally perceived as negative, right? Oh, rain, this sucks. Or like I don't want to get wet is now, hey, this is a welcome moment. So it can really change everything within your life and how you perceive things.
0: Yeah, it sounds like it's shifted your outlook on things. I mean, it's a mindset. It's an approach to life and to being.
1: Yeah, yeah, definitely. Um, just another thing that that sort of comes to mind is so what, what happens now is – imagine we can start to write our future.
0: Mm.
1: Imagine if we can start to write our lives, not by the patterns of the past, but by the design of what we want for ourselves Mm -hmm. for the future. So this, this kind of moves into sort of like a more metaphysical sort of thinking space now. I hope you, hope you can handle this, but it's (laughs) like,
0: (laughs) let's go. I'm, I'm here for the ride.
1: You know, like, I don't know if you've believed in uh, the concept of like just visualised visualisations.
0: Oh, absolutely. Super powerful tool. We use it in freediving. I mean, you can use it in any aspect of life, but yeah. there's a lot of science to back how powerful visualisation is. They've done yeah. it with like strength training, yes. you know, just visualising, lifting your finger, for example, or being, you know, squeezing something yes. versus someone actually physically doing it and then comparing it. And you've seen I don't know if you know this study. I can't remember. I could be botching the entire study. But anyway, I think they found <laughs> really great results from the people who just visualized it. But yes, incredible tool. I'm all for it.
1: Yeah. So, like, there are visualization is, for me at least, it's not just like a haphazard, like, oh, you imagine your future. You know, like, yes, like no. <laughs> <laughs> there's, a, there's a real intentional moment where you take a look at like a negative scenario. Or, or perhaps a moment in your day where you felt um, negativity or where mm-hmm. you felt something that was a little bit off. And you go back and you visualize, um, and you do this every morning, you visualize what the the best version of yourself would do in that moment. You start to become conscious. You start to become conscious of what you were doing in the past that got you to mm-hmm. that. You know, like I'll give you an example. Let's say like um, I, I walk into a store and I buy something that like I I didn't uh, end up enjoying or didn't end up liking. So imagine me replaying that. Okay. What made me walk into that store? What made me pick that item? What made me pull towards buying that that particular thing? What then made me feel like, "Oh, this wasn't exactly what I wanted at the end of the day." You know? So and then you go back and you replay those. And now you start to become conscious of all the elements and all the forces within your life that are making you do mm. your actions. And so the the new way of thinking this this sort of antithetical mindset is you start to visualize okay what's what would I have done if I were to think a more open-minded way or a different way, and you start to visualize the best version of yourself doing that, mm. and that becomes now um, not you acting based upon your past paradigms and programming, but you are now acting based upon the best version of an imagined or visual self. So now your future is not determined by your past, but it's determined by your your present. Like almost conscious understanding of who you are and who you are. Yeah, very much
0: in alignment with your higher self. Yeah. Like, you know, because we are dictated by our often, or we allow our past to consume us to have control. You know, you spoke about these patterns Mm. that are repeated. And the only way to break patterns is to become conscious and to become aware of it. Yeah. And then to actively now repeat new behaviours to rewire the brain and to change that. You don't break a pattern once and then the pattern's broken. No, that's it. Right. It's like developing any habit. Yeah. It's consistency. It's repetitiveness. It's <laughs> that <laughs> discipline of doing it over yeah. and over and over again.
1: And even when you stuff up, you get back to it, Yeah, you know, and, and of course recognising. But the I always find like the, the stuff up moments to be even like it's almost like a, a gold field of like data. You know, you're looking at yourself and you go, "Oh, okay, I messed up again. What what can I learn from that yeah. moment?" So you know, even even in those moments, you kind of almost welcomed that you were you kind of messed it up a bit. <laughs> so yeah. so now the, the the gravity and the weight of of messing up life or, or what you perceive to be a, a negative situation has another meaning and purpose to it, yeah. which is that it's it's a part of that journey yeah. of you becoming. So it's, um, I mean, there's so many little things that we do throughout the day that we are not conscious of. And um, I, I believe that as we start to really deeply think about our personality mm-hmm. and the patterns of either speech or, or movement or expression or even our body, you know, how we, how we articulate ourselves like physically, um, our physiology, uh, we're, we're moving towards, like you said, that higher self it's not something that comes naturally to any of us because we weren't taught this. We were taught this is how you are supposed to be
0: Mm. or
1: sometimes we just haphazardly fall into it. Yeah. But now that um, the slap in the face moment happens, you ask yourself, what were the patterns that got me here? And now you realize that the patterns that move you forward can never be those ones ever again. Yeah.
0: Yeah. Well, they don't have to be.
1: They don't have to be, yeah. Yeah. I mean, sometimes they'll repeat themselves, but at least you have a, yeah. a consciousness of it.
0: Yeah, definitely. And that's that's kind of the point of it all, right? It's yeah. just to be able to live a bit more consciously, a bit more intentionally. I even found coming out of the separation and then coming into a new relationship, recognizing patterns that I'd never even known about before that, yeah. that came forth.
1: Absolutely. Like,
0: what is going on? Who Who is this person that I thought I'd an old version of myself that I thought wasn't around anymore. Like, <laughs> hey, crazy Amanda, she's back. No, no, no. It wasn't. Maybe it wasn't bad. I don't know. Um, but it's a, it's being aware, mm. being aware of of who you are and how you're being. And I think that's the best thing that we can take from all of these. So you know, these situations and these things that happen in life, and what we perceive as failures, mm. is learning about yourself from them.
1: And actually like, um, when you start to learn or when you start to be aware, you start to realize that you don't have to be any of these things.
0: No, you don't.
1: You can just shift into nothingness.
0: (laughs) Yeah. Easier said than done. I think a lot of patterns dictate the immediate reaction, Yeah, but the consciousness and the intention comes in the response because they're two very different things. Yes. The reaction is The immediate that comes from the old paradigm, the old way of being, patterns that have been programmed in us, more of that subconscious, Mm. the old brain, I think they like to describe it, right? And then the power, the control that we have comes in our response that comes after. This is where we get to shine light on that and go, hold on a second. That's actually not how I want to show up anymore. Mm. I don't like this pattern. I don't like how I am in this. I don't like my behavior in this. And now I'm going to bring some consciousness, some awareness to this and shift my behavior. And, I mean, relationships have this incredible way of holding up a mirror to us because they show you and they reflect everything back to you, all of your childhood wounds, any, yeah, old patterns, behaviours, mm. because you are in the most vulnerable state when you're in a romantic relationship with yes. someone. You open yourself completely. So, of course, these things you don't hide <laughs> and that is in itself the perfect opportunity for you to to see yourself truly. Mm. When you talk about that disguise of desire, is that yeah, right? Yeah, that's right. What I was hearing there was, really being honest with yourself. I think we we live in denial of what the truth is within Mm. us. Like if you can be honest about what your true desires are without masking it as something heroic or whatever, pretending that it's about another person, really being truthful about stuff deep down, then you get to tackle it. Then you can come into alignment with your higher self.
1: Yeah. I love what you said about, you know, relationships being a mirror. And, uh, you know, as we're sitting here, I mean, the listeners can't can't see this, but there's, there's this is beaming light shining upon us. <laughs> yeah, and and a much I, I think very similarly, relationships kind of shine a light on us.
0: Oh, totally. But every time, ta-
1: every single time, there's a light shone upon you, there's a shadow, and mm. it, and it reveals that shadow itself.
0: Mm-hmm. Yes.
1: So you know, great imagery. Yeah. <laughs> the, the you know obviously you have you. It, it shows you you, but it does show you your shadow as well, and and that shadow that's being projected. You can't avoid it. It sticks with you. Yeah. So the only thing you can do is turn towards it and view it for what it is and understand, hey, this is this is still me, mm-hmm. but I'm going to now understand this. I'm going to work with this. And I can move myself. I can move my body. I can move the way I stand in position to the light so that way I can change that shadow. So um, some of the things like that have been revealed to me, is, I don't know if you understand, like attachment styles.
0: Yeah, yeah. Yeah,
1: big time, right? So, I mean, there's just the basic attachment styles is you've got your sort of anxious attachment style. Avoidant. Secure, avoidant. And then in the middle there's that secure. Mm. So, you know, I started to realise that within different relationships and different dynamics, I had different attachment styles. Mm-hmm. But the the predominant pattern that existed within those was the anxious attachment yeah. style.
0: Yeah, me too. Now,
1: that light shining upon me kind of revealed that. Mm. But then me understanding at least this was my old way of thinking, this is my my past self, what what does my new self want to be?
0: Mm.
1: How do I shift myself from the anxious attachment style, or for anyone listening, the, the avoidant attachment style, into secure, mm-hmm. right? It's being in that moment and then we ask ourselves, okay, these are the patterns, these are the things that I'm conscious of that make me anxious, like, for example, waiting for the other person, right, or wondering. Or having that what I call stinking thinking, you know, where where you uh, you wonder and you think the most negative things mm. about what that person might be doing or where they are or how they're how they're functioning whilst you're sitting here, right? And so, going through the reframing is a part of shifting myself from that anxious attachment style towards the secure. Yeah, and then visualizing yourself. Oh, I don't see myself as the anxious person but i visualize myself as the secure person Mm -hmm. what would what would the secure michael do in this circumstance yeah now of course all of this is a lot easier said than done because at the same time you're fighting that paradox of change yeah you know the the bigger the change that you have to go through the more your body will claw and resist and try to pull you back to the stinking thinking the negativity the anxiety yeah so it is it's this constant battle, but that I would have never been able to go through that transition or change without recognizing the light that would expose that shadow yeah it absolutely. Would show that shadow yeah
0: yeah and that's always having that light shining on you is also an opportunity to explore the roots of all of this to go deep within I think that's where yeah. the work begins is recognizing. That impact on someone mm. else, recognizing the way in which behavior plays out, but also the root of that behavior. Yeah. You know, and something I learned is ultimately it all comes down to unmet needs, expectations, desires within myself. And I think the greatest lesson in the past couple of years coming out of that separation, out of even the relationship after that was I'm the one who's here for me like I am actually enough for me. And one of the hardest truths for me to accept was looking back at everything it was a lot of my behavior and my my desire for relationship came from a place of lacking. Yeah. It it was just this yearning to be loved um and to be loved externally mm-hmm. without first being able to give that to myself. Mm.
1: It's you know going back to our, our sort of immigrant story. A lot of us growing up yearned for that acknowledgement, mm. but at the same time, uh, I don't know how you felt growing up, but a lot of immigrant families and parents, because they're working all the time, really leave the students, uh, not the students, <laughs> the, the child, you know, the child, the yeah. the, the, the to be independent. Yeah. Now we see that as independence, and we see that as a, a beautiful thing, but for children, that's also a form of abandonment as well. Mm,
0: yeah. There's a, there's an inherent need for unconditional love and acceptance. Yeah.
1: So obviously that manifests itself within yeah. our adult self, you know, looking for the relationship to heal the abandonment wounds yeah. of our past. Yeah.
0: And that's what we do. We project our wounds onto another person to yeah. heal. We give that responsibility to the relationship, which is yeah. not the role of a relationship, no. right? The role of a relationship, the role of your partner yeah. is not to heal you. That is our responsibility yeah. to heal ourselves. Yeah, And that was definitely, I mean, it sounds like that was the case for you as well, but that was such a big eye-opener for me mm. that I was coming with my wounds and going, you need to heal me and fix mm. me instead of going, I need I can, yeah. not only that I need to, but that I can and I have the power mm. to heal myself.
1: Yeah, that's it. and and so all of a sudden you start to realize and we'll sort of come full circle here is that the relationship and its separation was the biggest gift. Like, yeah, you know, you can look back and you go, if if I could redo it all over again, uh, would I want this to have, uh, you know gone a different way? I think no. Mm. You know, we look back and we go, "Yep, I 100% would go through all of the the raw pain and everything to to be where I am now." Yeah, because where I am now is someone who who has those wounds, but at least I'm the one taking care of them.
0: Yeah, yeah. how beautiful. Yeah, and it. Yeah, and I'm. I I think we can be both grateful for for these painful experiences and to acknowledge how deeply they affected us and wounded us. So, you know, there was a lot of pain in that, but there's something, as you said, beautiful that has come out of that circumstance and that situation.
1: Absolutely. Like, I think if there's anything that um, anyone who's sort of going through this sort of deep situation is always understand, this is what kind of got me through, was to understand that the other side is beautiful. So, you know, like I imagine after all of these situations, a million beautiful things have happened. Yeah. You know, like...
0: um, There have been so many lessons. Even, yeah, in itself for me, reflecting on how I behaved, how I reacted through all of it, how I could have better shown up. You know, this question of the best version of Amanda, Mm. what would she have done? And there are definitely things that I don't know if, like, regret's the right word, but I think the way that I showed up, I could have done better. Mm um, in yeah, kind of towards the end of my marriage. And that's a great thing to learn from, you know, there's, uh, there's no point in hoping for a better past. It's not about changing the circumstances that have gotten us here, but I think looking back and going, I could have shown up a bit better. I in, if this were to happen again, you know, this is something that I can learn from and grow from.
1: Yeah. I guess you know that, that knowledge without the negative emotion attached to mm. it but now the the appreciation of it like knowledge with a sense of gratitude is almost like wisdom you yeah. know like you're, you're not you're not you're not looking back and you're going oh uh, I sucked at this and I feel horrible about it no, that's just feeling the emotion of the moment mm-hmm. right that's living in the past but when you go back to the past and be reflective of it understand how you acted how you showed up, and you're observing it now. That's that's a wisdom that we carry with us forwards. Um, it's it's the greatest lesson that we can have is is looking at that and realising that how we move going forward, mm-hmm. like these future relationships, the people that we bring into our lives and everything else, at least they're getting the better version of us. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah like, um,
0: also that we get the better version yeah, of us.
1: Yeah, that's it. Yeah, I love that. I love that. I mean... If if there is anything else at the end of the day, we have the best version of ourselves day by day.
0: To be with. Yeah. yeah. Oh.
1: <laughs> Love it.
0: Love it. That's beautiful. Thanks, Michael. It's all right. I mean, I think that's a great place to to end our chat today.
1: Yeah. It's been I'm a really
0: pleasure. I'm really grateful that you were willing to share your journey. And there's so much value in it and I'm deeply grateful for our friendship as well and I'm so glad that this year we've been able to reconnect. And even though it was bonding over something that was quite painful for both of us, that us, I guess, on our journeys we've been able to support each other. So mm-hmm. thank you for being in my life as well. Oh,
1: thank you. No, thank you for being here and obviously uh, making making all of this more than just crap that we go through in life it's it's there's there's a greater meaning to all of this and
0: yeah i hope so
1: there definitely is and, yeah. and obviously what what we do is uh is just one more lesson every single day so let's let's keep doing it
0: <laughs> yeah and living with the best versions of ourselves happy and healthier lives that's what it's about
1: i love it love it
0: thank you thank, thank you so much michael um thank you everyone for tuning in I release episodes every Thursday. You can follow the podcast on Instagram at self double underscore podcast. And you can follow me at Amanda Latran. That's L-E-T-R-A-N. Thank you to Michael again. Thank you guys so much for watching or for listening. I will see you next Thursday. Bye.